We invite you to open your Bibles now or scroll to Romans chapter 8 as we conclude our series, New Life in Christ, Romans chapter 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? What shall we say in response to what the Apostle Paul has mentioned in the last paragraph, or probably in response to the whole epistle thus far? What shall we say in response to the benefits of new life in Christ? What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Words fail me. Well, almost. My mother would have told you that from the time I started talking before I could walk, I never stopped. Um, but words almost fail me. The preacher is supposed to say something at this point in the service, and so I'm going to make words come out of my mouth. But how can I do justice to this marvelous concluding section of Romans chapter 8? When Paul writes in verse 31, what shall we say in response to this? I'm inclined to say, we? <laughs> Speaking for myself Nothing. What shall we say in response to all that God has given us in this new life in Christ? Well, Paul, you've said it, and said it perfectly in this lyrical climax to Romans 5 through 8. There are no difficult concepts here for the preacher to explain. There are no commandments for the preacher to press on our consciences, just this exuberant outburst of praise and confidence in God. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
A young man has an unusual password for his cell phone, pro-nobis. Somebody asked him what that means, and he said, it's Latin. It means for us. And as he was explaining his unusual password, he started to tear up. Why so emotional about a Latin password to the cell phone? Well, the young man composed himself and explained that he had been going through a very difficult period of life. His parents got divorced and there were all kinds of other dark things happening in his life. He was depressed, suicidal thoughts. And then he learned that God is pro nobis for us. For us. Pro nobis to the extent that God gave us his only son to save us. And the argument that Paul makes here is if God Almighty has from eternity past been planning and now effecting our salvation so that we could live not just happily ever after, but happily forever ever after, then how can we feel threatened by anyone or anything? He, verse 32, who did not spare his own son. Pause right there before finishing the sentence. He who did not spare his own son. Do you realize what a difference it makes to know that God did not spare his own son? A distraught father was sitting by the bed of his comatose teenage son. The boy had been playing a game of basketball and dove for a ball that was going out of bounds. And when he did so, he fell on a spectator's chair and the legs of the chair caught him in the stomach, damaging internal organs. But he didn't feel a whole lot of pain right at the beginning, so he played out the rest of the basketball game hemorrhaging internally. And after the game, by the time the pain was so severe, they realized they had to take him to the hospital. It was almost too late. The doctors did what they could for him, but it was touch and go for a few days as to whether he would even survive. Now, he did survive, but the long hours of waiting for whatever would happen were, as you can imagine, difficult for his mom and dad. Caused them to ask some questions that they had not previously asked. And one evening, as the dad was alone by the boy's bedside, the pastor came for a visit. And trembling with emotion, the father asked the pastor, will God kill my son to punish me for my sin? No, the young pastor said, and then prayed silently for wisdom to say whatever would next help this distraught father regain his confidence. And the pastor said, the Lord is not punishing your son for your sin. The Lord already punished his son for your sin. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously 
give us all things. <laughs> Imagine that somebody gives you a Rolls Royce or a mansion, but then won't give you the key. Absurd, right? <laughs> then why imagine that God would give you the very best he has to give? The priceless, eternal Son of God give you that and then get cheap with you and withhold other good things from you. No, you can be sure that if this good God knows that something is truly good for you, he's not going to withhold it. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. <laughs> Satan, or my own conscience, or anyone else, should remind me that I am a pretty poor specimen. I can say, you're right. But fortunately, I'm not in your courtroom. I'm in God's, and he has already acquitted me. Verse 34, who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for me. The one who paid the price for all my sins, past, present, and future on the cross, is at God's side speaking on my behalf. Who, verse 35, shall separate us from the love of Christ? You remember singing a few minutes ago, what can separate me now? comes from this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written in Psalm 44, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. These things happen to God's people. Paul's a realist. And so is Lisa Beamer. Recognize that name? Her husband Todd was one of the heroes on Flight 93 that went down in Pennsylvania on 9-11. It was Todd who said, let's roll. And then led some of his fellow passengers in that sacrifice that saved who knows how many lives, although it cost them their own, and left Lisa alone, widowed with three children. She has said this, God is all-powerful and all-loving, but that doesn't mean that as a citizen of this fallen world, he protects us from every bad event. You think you deserve a happy life and get angry when it doesn't always happen like that? Well, in fact, she says, you're a sinner and deserve only death. The fact that God has offered you hope of eternal life is amazing. You should be overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. Newsweek reporting on that statement said her way of coping with this disaster is kind of grim. <laughs> Not in Lisa's opinion. She goes on, God knows that I am a hurt, I'm hurting and in need right now. Every day he provides encouragement and resources just for me. Little things show me that he's with me. A scripture with just the words I need to hear. A 
call from a friend when I feel lonely, help with a task that I can't do alone, or a hug and I love you from one of my children. God's love is truly sufficient to meet any need I have. And that's a message she took to Larry King's show 11 times. She continues, September 11th has shown me the reality of eternity in a dynamic way these past months. When I'm overwhelmed with sadness at what I've lost in this life, God is quick to give me his eternal perspective. Lisa, this life is just a blip on the radar screen compared to your future with me in heaven. The best thing that you can imagine on earth is garbage compared to what awaits you. Verse 37, no. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all things, even the terrible things that Paul mentions in the preceding verses. Corey ten Boom said, when I have a problem and it's got me down, I go to the mirror and I say, this problem is unsolvable. Not even Jesus Christ can solve this one. And then I smile and feel ashamed of myself. <laughs> no, no problem, no grief, no challenge, too much for us to handle strengthened by the Savior. Through him, we are more than conquerors, Paul says. Those three words translate one Greek word that's used only here in the New Testament. It's a construction that means super conquerors, hyper conquerors. <laughs> Just plain conquerors wouldn't do for what Paul is trying to say here. We are, through Christ, not people who barely survive, just get by, plod along, but we are or can be people who are incredibly confident and joyful. <laughs> like this missionary in the jungles of New Guinea. Man, he says, it's great to be in the thick of the fight, to draw the devil's heaviest guns, to have him at you with depression and discouragement, slander, disease. He hits good and hard when a fellow is hitting him. You can always measure the weight of your blow by the one you get back. When you're on your back with fever and at your last ounce of strength, when some of your converts backslide, when you learn that your most promising inquirers are only fooling with you, when your mail gets held up and some don't bother to answer your letters, is that time to put on your morning suit, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G? Time to put on your morning suit? He continues, no, sir. <laughs> That's time to pull out all the stops and shout hallelujah. The devil's getting it in the neck and he's giving it back. All heaven is watching over the battlements. Will he stick it out? And as they see who is with us, they see around us the unlimited reserves, the boundless resources. They see the impossibility of failure with God. How disgusted and sad they must be when we run away. 
glory to God, we're not going to run away, we're going to stand. I want to be like that when I grow up. A hyper-conqueror. A super-conqueror. And in the concluding lines, Paul lets out all the stops. Verse 38. I'm convinced that neither death by plane crash cancer or old age or life with all of its troubles. Neither angels or demons or any cosmic power, neither the present with its griefs or the future, who knows, maybe worse, nor any powers, tornadoes, tsunamis, tyrants, terrorists, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in between. Disappointment, frailty, failure, heartaches. None of this will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're not Pollyanna people. We're not people who do our best to see the cup as half full. We're not trying to be optimistic. We don't think, well, you know, things have a way of working out. We know that an almighty, all-wise God who loves us is at work for our good. That's verse 28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Bible search engines tell you that Romans 8.28 was one of the most read verses during the pandemic. Lisa Beamer says she couldn't have survived without it. What shall we say to these things? <laughs> Words fail me. So maybe it's best to simply repeat God or Paul's words in other words. Here is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood, the psalm says, because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. But none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, 
angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way Jesus, our master, has embraced us. And that's Romans 8. Let's pray. First of all, personally, Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of studying and teaching and preaching Romans 5 through 8. And together, we thank you for this revelation of new life in Christ, the great gospel of justification and sanctification and glorification and the Holy Spirit and hope for a renewed creation and all the rest that we've been meditating on now since last fall. Don't let us ever forget this, we pray. Let it transform the way we live and the way we face life's challenges in the days to come for the greater glory of the Lord Jesus who died that we might live and it is in his name and for his sake that we pray and let all his people say, Amen.